Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into quick reactions in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. Your first question might be, uh, what, what is quick reactions? What movie is that? Well, it's not, actually. Uh, I haven't written the description of the episode for the podcast yet, but I assume at, at some, in some sense, I w- some fashion, I will make it clear that that's not the title of a movie. Uh, but maybe you didn't look at that. It happens. Uh, yeah, this isn't a movie named Quick Reactions. These will be quick reactions on a bunch of movies. I There's nothing I've seen uh, in the last couple of days, uh, or even really the last week or so, that at the present I feel like I could really talk about for any real length of time. So I've sorted all my movies that I've seen by day, by the last day I saw them, and I'm just kind of going to run through everything that I see that jumps out at me that I thought, you know, that has, has any passing interest and maybe take a minute to talk about it, maybe recommend it, maybe not, give you a rating and uh, just do that for a sec. Uh, we'll see how far I get and how many, how many of these things I get through. And it'll kind of give you an idea of what I've been watching uh, for the last few days. So. Let's let's just let's just jump into this. Um, okay, uh, abducted in plain sight. This is a documentary. Uh, it's a 2017 film. It's on Netflix, and there was a movie that came out a, f- a handful of years ago called The Imposter. Documentary about a guy. Not to give anything away, but it's it's really messed up, and it. it it's the kind of story that when you hear it and you hear the people who were involved in it tell it, it boggles your mind that it could happen, okay? And Abducted in Plain Sight is very, very similar in that sense. Uh, It is about a child abduction that happens twice to the same child by the same person almost effectively uh, willingly and it, it, it really is a, a true life story that every few minutes has you scratching your head over how it could be possibly true. Uh, I've seen some reactions on Twitter about it, and it really is fascinating. I don't think the documentary itself is particularly great, but I think the, the story involved in, in, uh, that it's about is, is fascinating and, and definitely worth checking out. Because it, it it's already pretty crazy. It's the same person abducted by the same person, you know, in plain sight, as the title says. But there are so many other wrinkles to the story that are equally, if not even more, mind blowing than those. Um, I gave it a fifty six. I think there's a there's part of it hinges on. Um, one pretty big element that they claim the the abductor 
is good at you know like he they, they they say that he's like really good at charming and convincing and persuading people to do things and he's but but i've only that that's only said like half a dozen times throughout the documentary and none of the descriptions of the events none of the recountings ever make it clear to me that that's actually the case and because of that it makes the way that those things are described all the more ludicrous and it, it kind of, I don't know, it, t- it makes it kind of feel like a cartoon in a sense because you get these uh, absolute um, just just mic drop moments and yet at the whole time I'm thinking, but, but why? You, you have not explained, they, they did not explain to me competently enough in my opinion why um these things are the way they are so that really hurt its score for me so abducted in plain sight uh another movie uh newness this is also on netflix uh it stars nicholas holt and Laia costa and danny houston among others uh, Nicholas Holt and, and Laia Costa are two millennials. It's a 2017 movie that uh, frequent like a Tinder type of an app where they you know they have many casual sexual encounters until they find each other and a spark is struck and suddenly there there are feelings and things seem amazing and then they're not (laughs) things get worse friction and but then they they so they they go through this process of opening up to each other and becoming honest with each other and ultimately i i thought i felt like the first third to two-fifths of of the movie was fine and and not not just fine but but mildly engaging i was interested i wanted to see what was happening i wanted to know where these characters were going but by the time we got to like the halfway point and and i'd kind of just lost interest i i thought danny houston's character doesn't really enter the film until the second half of it and i i was interested in his character but he plays more of a foil to uh, the main characters of Holt and Costa, and it, it just—it's—it's a—it's such an inconsequential film. It, it really is saying not much of anything. You know, it, it tries to say be open and honest, and then it completely shits all over that premise. And it—I it, don't know. It—it—it it, it was kind of a circular film, and, and it doesn't play to its strengths i i i like nicholas holt in the movie i like Leia costa in the movie i thought there's a sequence somewhere in the middle um that i thought it was going to write this ship and get back on track where it's like half it's it's half montage half not montage with both of them kind of sharing something very true very sensitive very personal to with the other person and they then go out and and do the thing um whether that's she wants him to like flirt with somebody else something along those lines 
uh, just you know things they want, things they they want to be be open about. And I like that. I thought that was nice. And I, th- I guess it's kind of inevitable the direction that the film heads from that point. But I think that was the problem. I did not want it to be inevitable. I wanted it to do something different and, and subvert my expectations and, and take a left turn when I was expecting them to go right. But it never did, and that was frustrating. Um, so I, I gave Newness a 47. Like I said, I, I was mildly engaged at the beginning. It didn't completely, you know... It's not like it made wrong choices. It just made expected choices most of the second half of the film. And I did like the trio of, of principal actors in the film. So 47 for newness. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, seven, seven movies at the same time. So within the last three days, I went back and watched for the first time for any of these Child's Play, Child's Play 2, Child's Play 3, Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, Curse of Chucky, and Cult of Chucky. Uh, the seven current Child's Play slash Chucky films in preparation for the new one that's coming out this year. I don't know, I, I vaguely remember that, recall that the new one is actually a reboot or remake, but I'm also not sure if that's true or not. It might be a continuation of the same universe, regardless. Uh, I've now seen all seven Chucky films. And the highest rated one uh, is Bride of Chucky, which I gave a 34. Uh, But going in order from first to seventh, uh, Child's Play I gave a 20, Child's Play 2 a 15, Child's Play 3 an 8, Bride of Chucky 34, Seed of Chucky 26, Curse of Chucky 19, and Cult of Chucky 18. I think they're all awful. And it was very very weird to me when I like you know I'm logging all of them on Letterboxd and each one of them has like the most popular review most popular reviews are these are like three people who all gave it four to five stars Uh, the most recent reviews are like three stars four stars five stars Uh, people I follow and friends of mine on Facebook three and a half stars four and a half stars four you know and just like I could it was I'd have to actually do work to find bad reviews, except all these movies have an average rating of like 3, 2.8, 2.7, and so on. Uh, which I guess kind of makes sense. It's a franchise that, I don't know, you're probably not watching the new ones if you didn't like any of the old ones. And you're probably not watching the old ones for the first time 20 years later. Or if you, and if you are, it's a rewatch because you like them. So I, I can understand it from that point of view. But I was just, it does not make sense to me. I think all of them are awful. or ba- All of them are bad. About half of them are awful. And I don't think, I actually think, think like the effects of the doll in them are get worse as they go on. Cult of Chucky, the most recent one, which came out in 2017... I thought the doll effects were terrible in it, and really, I, I found whenever Chucky talks, you know, I can't help but like notice all the little movements of the mouth, and they're t- they're real bad. They are so bad. But you know, looking at the first couple of Child's Play movies, I didn't think they were as bad, and maybe that's just you know, twenty years ago we didn't have the effects to be as good, and 
I think the effects were practical back then, and now they're probably more CGI than practical. Maybe, not sure. But it just, something is way more off in the new ones. However, uh, as the film, the first three are um, pretty straightforward. And I noticed something watching these movies that I would say about 50% of the uh, victims of Chucky in this series are bad people. Actual bad people. Uh, Maybe not criminals, uh, per se, but bad people. Um, One of the movies takes place at a boot camp with stereotypically bullies who you know, run the boot camp and awful people who are abusive and cruel. And uh, a lot of them die. And that's fine. Um, One of them involves uh, foster parents who are awful pieces of crap people. And um, I don't know, like, like there's there's a lot of that throughout the film uh, and throughout this franchise. And I would I would be willing to embrace that if there weren't another the other 50% of people who are absolutely innocent, absolutely good people, never did anything wrong, just in, you know, just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I think if you don't have that, then it's not really then Chucky's not really a bad guy, then he's like a vigilante almost. And that so, so you have to have that, but if you want him to be a bad guy, you shouldn't also... I don't know, it's this weird disparity between, I like that he kills these awful people, but I don't like... But like I also have to consider him the villain, because he is um, killing innocent people for fun. And so when the film, when the franchise goes crazy, and you introduce Jennifer Tilly as... Bride of Chucky, you introduce their kid in Seed of Chucky, which I'm glad that was one one only in one movie. Uh, you 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 end up with just I don't know it, it the 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 tone and the the framing of these films gets wacky and upside down and bizarre all at once. Uh, one of the reasons why Bride of Chucky, in my opinion, is the best uh, of them is that it's the one that's really told from Chucky's point of view. He is the main character in Bride of Chucky, whereas in most of the other films, he is just the villain. And some like uh, in, uh, in Curse of Chucky, he doesn't really say anything until like, halfway through the movie. In Cult of Chucky, he's more of a supporting character. That's kind of how it usually is. But in Bride of Chucky, he's the main character, and I liked that perspective more than any of the others. The other thing, in the second, in the last two films, Curse and Cult of Chucky, uh, Brad Dorif, who plays Chucky, the voice of Chucky, in all the films, I believe it's his daughter, uh, who is, oh boy, I'm not going to remember her name, is uh, Fiona Dorif, who is the main character of Curse of Chucky, and then returns as one of the main characters in Cult of Chucky. I love her. I thought she was fantastic. Uh, those aren't 
the best films, but I, I really enjoyed her performance and her position within the world that is created for this thing. Other thing, I, I get that there's magic involved in, in Chucky coming to life and all that. I still hate that he can't die. I, I just... It takes all the fun out of out of the character. Out of out of the conflict, I guess you could say. But Alright, so that's all the child's play Chucky movies. I watched all of them. And I'm glad to be done with it for a while. Feels good. Uh moving on. Uh Stan and Ollie. I saw this in theaters, yeah, uh two days ago. On Tuesday, twenty eighteen film. And Steve Coogan and John C. Riley take on the roles of Laurel, Stan, or Stan Laurel, sorry, and uh, Oliver Hardy. And they are a very famous comedy duo from the old days. I've seen a couple uh, Laurel and Hardy films, not a lot, and I wasn't overly impressed by them, to be honest. But watching some of their old acts in Stan and Ollie performed by Riley and and Coogan and maybe maybe it was Riley and Coogan that made them more interesting but watching some of their old acts acts I'd never seen uh I I thought they were pretty funny I I thought there was some really good physical humor uh, on display from these guys there's one act they do a couple of times throughout the film uh with uh Hardy in in bed at the hospital and laurel stan laurel coogan's character shows up and he brought him some food and it includes hard-boiled eggs and riley's like i can't eat hard-boiled eggs how dare you bring me hard-boiled eggs and then there's just this i don't know 30 to 60 second sequence of coogan awkwardly cracking the egg and peeling off the shell and eating it and then he kind of, and like the whole time he's kind of like exchanging glances with the audience and like casting side glances at at John C. Riley and and then like the cap on the scene he pulls <laughs> he takes a bite of the egg and uh, he chews on it and eats and swallows it and and it's he has this face like something's off something's and 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 it seems like the thing that's off or at least I thought originally the thing that was off was just He's eating these eggs that he brought for his friend, and uh, it's a little awkward. But then he reaches into his pocket, into his uh, jacket pocket, and pulls out a salt shaker and salts the egg. I, I thought it was great. I thought that was great. And if anything, I'm glad that the film made me far more interested to go back and watch old uh, Laurel and Hardy short comedy films because... I'm sure there's more to them than I originally saw. I watched two or three of them, so hardly a representation of of their careers. Now, as for for Stan and Ollie, it just... uh, Here's the thing. like The film chronicles the period of time after they were popular, beyond their, their success, really, and it's about them trying to recapture their career... Uh, by going on tour and performing in front of shows and, and ultimately attempting to fi- uh, you know get a movie financed, a, a new version of 
Robin Hood. But I just, I, I really just couldn't engage with that story. And it's got wrinkles along the way, and that was fine. I was honestly far more interested in uh, their wives' characters, uh, played by, oh boy, I'm not going to remember this. One of them, Shirley Henderson. And uh, the other is Nina Arianda, who I didn't recognize as being in anything else I'd seen, except she has been in uh, Midnight in Paris, Florence Foster Jenkins, The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, um, Win-Win, Tower Heist. She's been in some stuff, so I, I definitely have seen her before. They're the the... I loved their characters in that movie. They are what really boosted the score of this uh, at the end of the day because they're they they had such venom and and scathing remarks for each other. Uh, they were unabashedly um, forthcoming about how little they wanted to do with each other, just in a sort of general macro sense. Anytime they would sit with each other to watch their husbands perform, um, I guess it would be uh, Laurel, Stan Coogan's wife, uh, who would never, ever sit next to uh, the, I guess his job was like a promoter for Stan and Ollie's tour. Like, she would absolutely refuse to sit next to him and always make... uh, Stan, Stan's wife would absolutely refuse to sit next to him and always make Shirley Henderson do it. I I liked their characters. Some of their, their moments, their, their arc in the story, I found the most engaging. And that's why I gave... So, so they elevated the score to about a 55. Um, not the best, but I, I, I had... I enjoyed the film for what it was. And I think... The, the the purpose of it, I felt, was unnecessary. I, I don't know. I didn't see the point in making this movie. I don't know. It wasn't, wasn't for me in that sense, but I did like Shirley, Hendon and Shirley Henderson and um, Nina Arianda. So, uh, Stan and Ollie, 55, 55. Uh, next, we got City on Fire. This is a 1987 film, foreign language film, uh, Chinese film, starring Chow Yun-Fat. I watched this, actually, because it is purportedly either uh, the original version of Reservoir Dogs, or at least a, a heavy inspiration for Reservoir Dogs, Tarantino's film. And... I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs in many years, quite some time, uh, maybe even maybe nine years at this point. But and as as poorly as I might remember it, uh, I definitely think there are a lot of a lot of a lot of distinctions between City on Fire and Reservoir Dogs. Now, Chow Yun Fat's character, who he plays an undercover cop, who is hounded by the police who are, you know, trying to get answers, trying to get information. 
he's got his girlfriend who wants to get married, but he's not really willing to make that commitment, and so she's going to leave him for somebody else. He's got the, uh, the criminals that he kind of is friends with, and yet also is, you know, doing, you know, giving out information on. Plus, there are other cop precincts and forces that don't know he's an undercover cop and think he's a criminal. And so that, that, what ultimately, that, that ultimately results in Chow Yun-Fat being constantly on the guard, constantly on edge, constantly looking over his shoulder. And I, I liked that dynamic. But one, not a huge fan of Chow Yun-Fat's acting, honestly. Uh, he, he He's never really impressed me that way. Uh, two, I think that going into this, expecting it to be more like Reservoir Dogs really hampered my experience because I didn't feel like it was a, that much like it. I can see the similarities, but I don't know that I would ever call it a remake in that sense. Um... So I don't know. I I I found I I had a good time with it. There are definitely elements that I really enjoy. There's a a foot chase um, with Chow Yun Fat that I really liked because it wasn't grand, it wasn't over the top, but it was still smart and well written and well executed. And I liked that. There are um. I don't know, just the dynamics of it, I really appreciated. And I think I think it's farly, far inferior to Reservoir Dogs, but I would, I would love to see this exact movie done better, because I think it could be. And that doesn't even mean it has to be made in English, necessarily, but um, I think there's a lot more potential from my my point of view personally i mean it has a 91% on rotten tomatoes so uh, agree to disagree but uh, i gave it a 57 so i think it's fine i think it's fine uh another foreign language film this one from 2018 called how long will i love you and this is uh it's a sci-fi rom-com uh, and what happens is it's 2018 or no, I guess it's 2019 right now let's say one day you're sleeping in your bed and you're you know a 30 year old late 20s early 30s year old person and you wake up one morning and there's somebody else in your bed except uh it's really only half of your bed, uh, and it's half of their bed, and they wake up, and you're in their bed in the same way that they're in your bed. And you get up, and you look around, and half of your apartment slash house is yours, as it always has been. But then the other half is the other person's, as for them it always has been. And... You've both woken up, and your two houses have been combined. And the house you now live in, that is both of yours, is cut right down the middle. Right down the middle. 
And then as you realize it more and more, you, a person living in 2019, uh, they are a person living in, 20, uh, in, in 1999. So uh, 20 years has gone by, or 20 years separates the two of you. And 20 years ago, in that exact same place that you're living, that person lived. And now they have combined, the two places have combined. That's kind of the premise. Uh, so a girl living in the present wakes up uh, with a guy who lives, who's living in the past and their apartments have combined and now they live in the same place together. So that's an interesting wrinkle. How does that affect the world around them? So their front door is split in two and when she opens her side of the door, they're in 2019, or I guess in the film world, uh, this movie's present day, I think is 2018 or 2017. They're in present day. When he opens his side of the door, they're in, they're 20 years prior. I think 1998, 98. And she can go into the ba- in the past, he can go into the future, uh, she can see herself when she was a young girl. He can see himself when he was, when he's, you know, 20 years older. And hijinks ensue. And fabric of the universe is at stake. Not at stake, but in, in danger if too many time paradox things take place. So, that said, I was so, so, so on board with this movie in the first half. I was so excited for it. It looked so great. I loved the premise. I loved the time swap confusion thing. And then all of a sudden it just uh uh it just it went, it got too big. Uh the film involved too many uh external forces and it got way too over the top (laughs) over the top in a movie like this uh it it just it struck me as as if the movie was not satisfied with its premise as if that wasn't enough for it it needed to do more and i don't know why it felt that way because i thought the premise in and of itself was already um fascinating you know i think if they would have downplayed the 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 stakes a little and made it more along the lines of something like the apartment but just with this new type of premise i would have really enjoyed that and yet the second half of this movie is just so so not fun not interesting i didn't i didn't care for it so what could have been actually a very good uh very exciting movie you know, dropped its rating all the way down to 53. I thought it was just okay, all told. Um, and, uh, hmm. Let's, uh, let's do one more, all right? Let's do one more. So that's all the feature films I've seen in the last three days already, going back to January 28th, 28th to 30th. And uh, let's... Let's do one more from the 27th. So I saw, I only saw three feature films that day. What do I want to talk about? I'm going to talk about 303. This is another foreign language film. 
It's a 2018 film, and uh, it is the best film of any of the ones I've talked about today, in my opinion. I gave it a 75. Um, it's almost two and a half hours long, so it's it's a it's a commitment. And if if you like me are a fan of before sunrise, before sunset, or before midnight. If you, like me, uh, are interested and, and engaged with, you know, two, a, a, a double-hander film, two characters who mostly just talk and um, engage with each other in, in that sense, this is, this is perfect movie. This is a perfect movie for that kind of person. 303 follows two young, like, early 20s people, and uh, the girl is in the process of um, driving across country in, like, a a Winnebago mobile camper type thing, and she's doing it all by herself. She's going to visit her... um, make sure I'm getting this right she is pregnant and her ex is uh, believed to be the father and then her mother wants her to go get an abortion and so she's pretty much driving across to get to get to her ex to to kind of reconcile this whole situation that's that's her plan uh, her brother has uh, recently passed he killed himself it it starts out on a down note I'll, I'll i'll admit the guy of the two young people he is uh off on a journey to find his real father he was raised by his biological mother and stepfather and he did not realize this until about now and he's finally kind of tracked down his dad and so he's off to get there um, it's pretty far away, and early on in the film, uh, she he's trying to hitchhike at like this gas station, and she decides to take him with her. But they one of the first conversations they have, you know, he asks her how old she is, and she they're both twenty four, and he makes a comment that uh, they only have three more years because all of, like. All the brightest stars who, like, burned out died when they were 27. And he lists, you know, like a Janis Joplin, like a uh, like a Heath Ledger, and, and so on. And the conversation takes a little bit of a turn, and, and he doesn't realize that her brother killed himself when he was 27. And that's kind of uh, a little on the nose, and she kicks him out. And he lost his phone in there. So he has to hitchhike further. And ultimately, what ends up happening... I feel like I'm getting too nitty gritty, but eventually, essentially, it's the whole movie is the two of them traveling together. That's the crux of the argument, and it's. I, I think it would be accurate to say that they spend most of that time trying not to develop feelings for each other. Both of them have these huge things weighing on them that are are enormous, enormous um, parts of their life. You know, pregnancy, 
you know, your real father. Like those are huge, huge things. And getting to dealing with this entirely new discovery relationship sort of development is uh, it's a lot of weight to put on someone who's also going through all these other things. And I thought the movie was beautifully written. I think uh, it's it's brilliantly acted. Uh, it's the two leads are Mala M Day, probably pronouncing that wrong, and Anton Spiker, probably pronouncing that wrong. And Mala M Day, who plays Jewel, I loved her in this movie. I thought she was fantastic. They do a lot of the before sunrise, before sunset stuff where they just kind of have a conversation and it leads to talking about what having sex is as from a biological standpoint and, and how that affects hormones and, and pheromones and uh, uh, mental processes and so on and so forth. They, you know, they, they journey from, they travel from one conversation to the next having these insightful things. And and I, I really enjoyed that quite a bit. So, again, if you like before the before trilogy, and that kind of a dynamic, this is that. This is absolutely that. And I I think, you know, they travel from Berlin uh, all the way to Portugal, and it's it's just a lot of fun and. I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. Like I said, I gave it a 75. Uh, so I don't think it's as good as Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight. But for what it is, it is very good. And um, it is um, the best movie I've seen in the last four days. So uh, there's something. That's that's out of uh, how many movies? Uh, 29. At 29 films, uh, it is number one. So, high marks. High marks. Yeah, I don't know. I, again, I didn't have much to talk about today uh, for on in, in a lengthy substance. However, tonight I am going to see Alita, Battle Angel. So, I will be able to do an episode of that tomorrow if I'd like to. And, yeah. That's exciting. I'm very excited to see it. It also comes with like a video stream conversation between James Cameron and, and some of the people involved in the film and that I'm looking forward to quite a bit. So that is uh, presumably what's on tap for tomorrow, tomorrow's episode. And then by then we're already in, in February. So plenty of stuff to come next week uh, that is to be expected. So thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope it helped or or gave you something to think about or I don't know something uh if you would like to find more episodes of the circle of film podcast you can head over to circleoffilm.com or you can find us on iTunes and other places where uh, podcasts can be found if you would like to get in touch with me for any reason at all uh, I'm on Twitter at circle of film I am I have an email circleoffilm at gmail.com or you can find me on letterboxd uh circle of film there as well if you'd like to support the show, you can do so for as little as $0.08 cents an episode on patreon.com slash circlefilm or rate and review uh, on 
iTunes. That is uh, super appreciative, super super appreciated as well. Thank you once more for listening, and as always, have a week. So long, without a trace nothing's gone forever only out of place so long farewell oh what i'll be to say wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute